Those are good stories. And uh, our Heavenly Father, when He comes, He doesn't just do healing because He is healing. You know, we ask him to do it, but actually when he's here, he is healing. It's like asking him to be good. He is good. It's like asking him to please love me. No, he is love. You know, it's not something that he switches on and off. It's something that he is all the time. So when we, when we encounter that, when we encounter him, then things change because he's here. And that's who he is. Excuse me while I adjust my facilities here. And uh, I think we're learning all the time, as, as Pamela was talking about, you know, just breaking off something demonic. You know, we, we need to be aware of that when it comes to in the realm of, of healing and even in our thoughts and so on. So let's not, be, let's not be foolish. And if you've got a persistent pain and maybe you've resorted to some other kind of way of getting rid of it in the past, maybe there's a, there's a, there's a lesson, there's a key for you in that right there just to sort of reject that and then see God's healing invade you uh, and and this morning at the end we'll have our ministry team up here come forward get it broken off you and get healed get your back healed get whatever it is healed get your fibromyalgia healed we've seen how many cases that six five just loads loads of people hearing I just felt again this morning hearing crystal clear hearing is coming to people in this this room this morning uh, I want to talk to you did we manage with those verses? I think we're going to go out, just going to read these verses. So Acts 2, I want to talk to you about apostolic wineskin this morning. Uh, continuing on from what I, I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Is it only going to come one verse at a time? Well, yeah, about four verses. Can I have four verses? This is quite good, isn't it? You kind of serve it a bit like a, a waiter. Give me four verses with chips. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Simon. <laughs> Actually, a bit of, a bit of gravy would be nice. Um, here it comes. Oh well, we could sing. <laughs> uh, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, I know that bit. Okay, let's do one of the other ones. Can we come back to Acts 2? It, it doesn't matter what order we do them in right now. Here we go. This is Luke 5. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, for if he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Can we do 39 as well? I, I like 39. I really like 39. There you go. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Okay, just any other verses that... <laughs> we'll master the technology. There we go. Uh, this is 1 Corinthians twelve twenty-eight. In the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then workers of miracles. Also, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, those speaking in different kinds of tongues. And can we go back to Acts 2? Is that possible? 1 to 4? The glory of God will descend as this happens. <laughs> I mean, most of you know it off by heart anyway, so... And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. <laughs> Thanks, Simon. Um, I... There are certain pages in my physical Bible that are falling out. Uh, Ephesians 4 and Acts 2. Um, and the other week, 
but I keep getting new messages out of Acts 2. Um, uh, what I want to do is, is just, just kind of bring a fresh perspective on that and uh, sort of re- go back to some of the things I was saying a, a week ago. Because I think the outpouring of the Spirit is the most important thing. He is the main event post the resurrection and still is. Uh, and uh, what he was just speaking to me this morning is that we can, you know, we can have a move of the Spirit and we can get sophisticated really quickly. And I just feel this morning is going to be kind of back to first love. Do what you did at first. And what I did at first was fall about laughing. Uh, <laughs> And I don't know why or how, but it happened when the Holy Spirit came on me. And uh, that, that's what worked for me anyway. A very long time ago. And I, I believe that the fruit of Jesus' apostolic ministry, so, so uh, absolutely not minimizing the, the cross and the resurrection, his three years of ministry, he did something, didn't he? He healed the sick and raised the dead. But he worked with these 12 guys and apparently a, a, a bunch of others. So that in that upper room in Acts 2, there was 120 people on whom the Holy Spirit came with fire and, and came powerfully and came amazingly. And sometimes when we... Sometimes when we look at that story, we actually, I've preached it this way. Here's the disciples, and they weren't terribly well prepared. Because obviously their theology was not well formed. You can tell that from questions they're asking in Acts 1 and questions they're asking later in Acts. They don't understand the shift that's happened because of the cross. They don't understand the new covenant theology they don't understand the role of law and grace they don't understand the inclusion of the gentiles there's all sorts of things that they don't know they don't know about the kingdom they're asking funny questions about the kingdom in acts chapter one is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom and jesus is like well the answer is the holy spirit says that's in the father's hands but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you can get the opinion if you look at it through our kind of Western grid, that these guys were not well taught and they certainly lacked theology that we would think was essential. Huh? So they, and they'd been with Jesus for three years and he spent 40 days teaching them through the Holy Spirit, it says in Acts 1. So they'd had lots of teaching, but it doesn't seem to be that they were informed about the things that we're really informed well about. And yet Jesus seemed to think that it was okay to leave at that point. (laughs) And leave us with these 120. Some of them who had recently run off. Most of the guys scarpered. It was the women that hung around at the cross and were first at the tomb. (laughs) So, you know, Jesus' brave 12... What, you know, one had betrayed him and the other three had all left, had left at various points and one had denied him three times. This, this was his leadership team <laughs> in the room. <laughs> and, and if you're a church growth expert or you're interested in the development of, and the size of church, actually three years of ministry, 120 people, is not spectacular growth either. Um, especially as your God. You think he could have done better, don't you? And, and I've heard, and I've taught it that kind of way. It's like, I don't quite know why God could only build a church of 120 people in three years. I've got friends who've done more than that in that kind of time. <laughs> so, so through some of the grids that we look at this kind of thing, Jesus only did, you know, sort of fair to average marks, really. Theology weak, not well informed about things they needed to know, and really not a large number of people. I mean, it goes up a little bit if you think about he appeared to the 500, but we don't know much about the other uh, ones that he appeared to. We know about this 120. So you can, you can assess his earthly ministry through a kind of earthly paradigm, really, through a, through a lens that is about what did they know and how many, you know, numbers and information. 
And actually, in our kind of culture, numbers and information are really important to us. So when you get leaders together of churches, you know, pretty quickly it's like, well, how big is your church is a question that comes out quite quickly. And what do you know and, and what kind of, you know, theology do you have, etc., etc. Jesus would not have come out great in that kind of conversation. You know, if, if just, you know, just, just at this moment, he went to a leaders meeting. Well, how big is your church? Oh, I've just got 120 in mine. And, and I know that 11 of them scarpered when, the, when it got rough. <laughs> Are you kidding? Some mega church pastor with you know, 5,000 people could be thinking like, really? Okay. Um, but actually, his success, I, I believe he did succeed. I mean, obviously, he did succeed. Yeah. All right. But maybe it didn't succeed on some of the measures that we think uh, are important. Yeah. So those things are important to us. That's why preachers come out with those little kind of snidey comments, or, or I did, because they're important to us. Well, they don't know about the new covenant. Jesus, what were you messing about at for 40 days? How did you only manage to get 120? I don't understand that, but let's move on. Obviously, he succeeded, but I I perhaps didn't understand why. But the more I've looked at what happened at Acts 2, the more I'm amazed at what Jesus did with 120 people. Because if what happened in Acts 2 happened in most churches in the Western world, the church would split. People would be climbing out of the windows. They'd be running to the corners. They'd be hiding under the chairs. And some people would be in the middle loving it. There would be all kinds of... Come on, just get real with me for a moment. So, you're there. We're in an upper room. I don't know, maybe there's a bit more than 120 here. But it wouldn't be that different to this, okay? And you're there in fear of the Jews. So, you're probably locked in. And life has been strange recently. The one you love was crucified, then you're locked in a room and he walks through the wall and then he floats away on a cloud. Oh, that's your recent, that's, that's your last couple of weeks. How's that working out for you? How's your brains doing on that? So there you are and he's told you to pray and to wait because the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and you're like, cool. And fortunately, he says, he's going to be in you, and you know him because he's been with you. So an important part of Jesus' training was while he was with them, he got them familiar with the presence of the Holy Spirit so that they could identify him when he rocked up. And what he's saying is when he rocks up, he's not just going to be around you like you've had, he's going to be in you like I've had. All right? Right, so so he. This is where we are, team. We're praying, and then it's nine o'clock in the morning. It's a little bit earlier. None of us have been at the pub yet. There is a sound from heaven. Right, a sound. So you get. It's not a wind. It sounds like a wind. So in the room. And, and I, it, from the text, it sounds like it's coming across the city from heaven into here. So it's noisy. A mighty rushing wind, if you've ever been around one, is noisy. I don't know, something like that. That starts to happen in the meeting. And, you know, we're examining the PA. It's not coming out of the PA. You know, we're looking around in the vents. Has somebody put some... That's what we do, isn't it? As Westerners, we're like, well, where's it coming from? We go and check the basketball players. Anybody got one of those huge PA systems somewhere? Where's this noise coming from? It just came from heaven. So we're already confused. And then fire starts to appear around and in front of us and on people's heads. And I don't know what that looks like. I used to imagine it was like little candle flames, all sort of religiously landing on people. And then I saw a picture, a photograph from a Heidi Baker meeting in Mozambique. And it was just like fire over people. And I'm like, I think that's more like what it was. It wasn't all sort of neat, tidy, religious. It was like sheets of fire over people. And we'd be going like, where did this come from? Who bought the matches? Who bought the paraffin? 
What's going on? Check the heating ducts again. Some people would be scared because it's completely out with their understanding and our control. It's now noisy and there's fire. And it's like, ah, this isn't church that I understood. This isn't how church used to be when I grew up. I don't have a... And search as you might, there's not Old Testament verses that tell you that it was going to be like this. It's not there. So you don't have the information, you don't have the control, you don't have the understanding, and yet it's happening all around you. Most people in church will be going, ah! And then different ones start to speak in tongues. They start to speak in languages they didn't learn in school. You go, blah, 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 blah. And someone next to you suddenly goes, blah, 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 blah. and someone else goes, and you're like, flipping Nora, I've come to the loony bin. And then, and then they're so filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're all going, kashumbala ooh, and they're all looking drunk and crazy. You're like, I've come to the madhouse, and there's fire, and there's a noise, and then 3,000 people show up in the car park, and you're like, I'm leaving this church. I've had enough experience now of just trying to lead us into the presence of God and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, how they happen to know how well Jesus had done to get 120 people ready for heaven to come. (laughs) No one left the exits, no one left the church. No one got into fear. They all got into joy and Holy Spirit. And they're like, ah, fire! Or something like that. (laughs) And it says that they all, when Peter stood to speak, it says they all stood with him. They were together. They were were like, whoa, you think this is God? Oh, this is just weird, Peter. This This isn't in the prophets. No, they all knew. Jesus had trained them to a man and a woman. They knew the Holy Spirit who had been with them was now in them, and they could tell it was heaven. They could tell it was God. He trained them to recognize the presence of God without having a verse for it. Honestly, there is no verse for what this looked like. This was the first time it happened like this. Fire did fall, but it was usually bad when it fell in the Old Testament. It burned up offerings, burned up soldiers that were going to arrest Elijah. It was somewhere around 150 soldiers got toasted by a heavenly barbecue. And do you remember earlier in the story that, that was it Peter, James and John, sons of, of thunder, said, Lord, these people have given us hassle. Why don't we call fire down from heaven on them? So they knew the old stories. They said, obviously we have authority with heaven now. We're hanging out with you. Let's do some toasting of our own. And he says, oh, you don't know what spirit you're of. So the era's changed. They knew the era changed. They knew the fire was safe. It wasn't to kill them. It was to empower them. They could tell this was God. I believe this is a significant outcome of Jesus' apostolic ministry. Hebrews 3 tells us that he was the first apostle. What he did was he managed to prepare 120 people for a heaven invasion in so well that it didn't freak them out when it showed up. He managed to prepare them so they could tell it was Holy Spirit. And they could call it. Courageously call it to the whole city. So Peter stands up and says, This is that. This is what Joel said. This he knew the moment. He knew the moment. He knew the prophetic moment. He knew that this was a change of era. He stood up and said, The whole of history just changed in this room. Come on, this is not a little statement. He says, Joel said it, in the last days I will pour out my spirit. He called the last days. He said, everything from this point is the last day. 
Because on 120 people, fire came, wind, the sound of wind came, and tongues started. And he said, this is the fulfillment of that prophecy, that the Holy Spirit is going to be ha, poured out on all flesh. It's going to look like this, because he later says, this is for you and your children and for all those who are far off. Everyone the Lord your God will call. This, what we had, is for everybody. And wherever this happens, we know it's heaven invading earth. We know it's the Father's love invading His children. We know it's the Holy Spirit. We know He's adopting new sons and daughters. This is the authentication of the message, is the experience. That's how they made a doctrinal decision about the gospel coming to the Gentiles. They received the Holy Spirit just as we did, was the statement that won it. Listen, not that they could wrote, quote the verses, they received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Jesus' stunning achievement was the preparation of 120 men and women to recognize the invasion of God, not be afraid of it, and to be able to both recognize, host, and enjoy, and move in the, the invasion of the Holy Spirit in their generation. Strange manifestations didn't freak them out. And they continued in the power of this invasion of heaven. To the point that by chapter 5, Peter is walking around and merely his shadow, people are getting healed. And there's no substance in shadow, it's just a lack of sunlight. It's a simple point of contact. They t- it says actually from the towns and cities around Jerusalem, they're bringing their sick into the city. They knew which way Peter walked into the temple. So that when he was walking, they all got out in the street and as he walked by and his shadow fell on them. So I guess they figured out which side the sun was on. So they're all down one side of the street. He walks by, shadow falls on them and one after one, boom, up they get out of their cots. Blind eyes open, bang, 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 bang. And he goes to the temple. He's not even praying. He's just leaking presence. So Jesus' success was not a theological training, but a spiritual preparation of a body of people to recognize, to host the presence of God when he came. And not reject it, and not divide over it, and not fight over it, and not get into fear, and not into endless discussions about the theological basis. They knew straight away, this is it. That's what apostles do, they get you ready for God. They're absolutely passionate about encountering God and not being freaked out by that very thing. You see, the fruit of that invasion was a city transformation. So who got filled? Who got filled with the Holy Spirit? The church got filled. The 120 got filled. Who got saved? Who showed up at the church? The same city that had nailed Jesus to a cross not that many weeks before. The same group that were shouting, crucify him, and now going, what must we do to be saved? The same group that had rejected him and had mocked him were now showing up because they heard a sound and they came to the place where the sound resided and the fruit of that was the conversion of 3,000 people in one day. Suddenly church growth is off the charts. But why? It wasn't a technique. It wasn't a new program. What made people who were closed and angry open and receptive? God invaded the church. God invaded the church. God invaded the church and the church liked it. God invaded the church and the church welcomed him. God invaded the church and the church went whoopee rather than ah. God invaded the church and the city changed. 
God invaded the church and the atmosphere, the attitude to the presence of God and what God was doing in the city shifted because a group of people that loved Jesus hosted the presence of the Holy Spirit in fullness and there was a shift in the whole place and suddenly 3,000 people and then constantly people are added to their number. In fact, but they were not user-friendly. They were not seeker-sensitive. It says people feared to join them but they were still added daily. It's actually the verse it's almost an oxymoron it says they feared to join them and they were added daily I don't know how that works but that's what the Bible says you see we get so worried about what people think we're not worried enough about what he thinks come on this is what he's doing with us I believe he's getting us ready for the biggie If you think what we've had was scary, (laughs) Jesus, Mary, and Holy Spirit, we need help. (laughs) I believe God, I believe God in heaven, He's looking down on Glasgow. And he's going, I love this city. This city is amazing. It's full of people that I want to redeem back to their original image. I've put so much creativity, so much energy, so much passion, so much beauty in these people. Now, what I need is I need a place to land. I need a place to go whoosh. Because if I get a place where I can land... I can change everything. Where we're still counting how many we've got and sorting out have we got our theology right, he's going, who wants me? Who will recognize me when I come? Who won't be scared when I do? However I want to come. Because, you know, if they thought they'd got it nailed this time around, like, okay, okay, when he comes, it's noisy and fire and we do this tongue thing. So, cool. We now have our, our foundation course for our church. Okay, lesson one, noise. Lesson two, fire. Lesson three, tongues. The next time they pray, it doesn't do any of those things. Oh Lord, we're getting a bit persecuted here. It's getting a bit hot around here. So what does he do? He shakes the building. Darn, we have to change our foundation course again. We've got to add building shaking. But they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And angels keep rocking up. And it's, it's totally bizarre to a Westerner. But the goal of apostolic ministry is to prepare a people for an invasion of heaven. So that the culture around them can be radically changed because the culture in us has been totally filled with heaven. Is this helping anybody? (laughs) So Paul said the same thing a slightly different way in Ephesians 2. talks about the foundation being of apostles and prophets who is Christ Jesus the cornerstone. What is it for? In order to create a house or a building or a structure in which God can be present. And he's saying to me, Andy, Andy, how does it work that when the Spirit comes to us, they get changed? Because that's what Jesus said would happen in John 16. We just don't read it properly. If you read John 16, when he promises the Spirit, he says, I will send the Spirit to you. And he will convict the world, them, of sin and righteousness and judgment. And that's exactly what happens in Acts 2. You can go look it up. He sends the Spirit to them they get convicted. It's most important that we get filled with Him in order for them to get saved. The thing that will change this city more than anything else is a whole load of churches that get invaded thoroughly by the Holy Spirit. And then Glasgow will be saved. He's looking for a few places where he can just show up, be at home, and do his thing how he wants to do his thing. Which isn't the way we do our thing. We do the thing we think he wants. And he's going, no, 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 no. Let me come and show you. So you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. 
If you do, you lose the wineskin. That was one of our verses, remember? You don't pour new wine into old wineskins. He knows that certain structures, certain ways, because I think the wineskins are at different levels. There's like, what's, what's the shape of our heart? You know, and some, some of us have struggled when God shows up. And it's to do with what we're expecting and how we're organized on the inter- The wineskin of our internals are like, Bleh! you know, we all need a little help to readjust our internal wineskin to receive all of the Father's love, all of what Jesus is doing and all the wonderful work of the Holy Spirit and connect. Uh-huh. It's not been easy for many of us. That's the internal wineskin. But then there's the wineskin of us together and how we relate and how we connect and how we're organized and how we do Sunday and, blah, 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 and, and how we're led and what leadership is about. And that creates an environment, an atmosphere that God can touch or not, as the case may be. And, and here, we haven't got time to go into the context, but basically he's saying the old school way of doing it is going to be totally ruined if I rock up and pour some new wine on it. It's going to blitz it, it's going to tear it and rip it apart. And one of the reasons that some of, some of us in the past have not experienced as much invasion of heaven as we thought we wanted is because we didn't have a wineskin suitable and God in his mercy was not going to rip up what we had. not going to mess us up and there is wine in the old wineskin and actually it is true what it says in that verse the old wine is better than the new being I'm not a wine snob I hope but I like wine (laughs) in I haven't heard so much about this recently, but there used to be like a race, there probably still is, to get the Beaujolais Nouveau into Britain first, which is the new crop, the new wine of Beaujolais Nouveau, French translation for you there, new Beaujolais. So anyway, and it was like, who can get it into Britain first? And, and I tried some once, and I thought, this tastes awful. Why the hurry? Because <laughs> it's new wine, it's very lively, it's kind of... I prefer a bit older stuff. Give me a bit of Chateau Neuf de Pape. Or a nice Saint-Emilion Grand Cru any day. Preferably more than four or five years old from a good year. Because it's smoother. It has a greater developed depth of flavor. Old wine is better for drinking. Trust me. So there's lots of wineskins, there's lots of containers with old wine in, and we can go around, we can sample them, you can read the books from all the old stuff God did, and it was good, and it's good to read the books, you go, hmm, that's kind of mellow, and hmm, all those horrible tannin edges have gone out of it, and this has just got a nice long finish, and oh yeah, just read the Puritans, that was so good, or Camber's Lang Revival, or even, you know, stories from the outpouring that, that, that happened in the Outer Hebrides in, in, in Lewis and Harris, you think, oh, that was, that's a bit of old wine, we like the old wine, let's, let's have some, let's have some old wine revival. Even the beginning of the charismatic movement now is old wine. The beginning of the new church movement in the UK, that's old wine. We can't go back and have an old wine revival. You can't revive old wine. Old wine is old. It's good because it's old. You can't kind of, don't put lemonade in it to make it zip it up. It's no longer wine. It is an abomination to the Lord is what you've just made it. It's like adding lots of water and ice to single malt. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's almost a sin beyond being able to be forgiven. It's just like, you don't drink new wine for the flavor. You drink it because you get drunk faster. That's what it's all about. He said, I'm sending the new wine. It it doesn't taste as good, but boy, you get whacked a lot faster on this stuff. 
It's a bigger bang for your buck. It's all fizzy. It's still fermenting. And that's why you need a new stretchy wineskin to put it in. Because one day it's a bit like this. The next day it's like this. I mean, it's busy. The whole point is drunkenness. The whole point is to get everybody wrecked with Jesus and have a wineskin that doesn't smash when they do. Because it's not all nice and orderly. It's not like a nice long finish and you can sit there and smoke a cigar or whatever it is your thing you want to do. This is vibrant and intoxicating really quickly. It may violate some of your senses, but actually, if the goal is intoxication, that's the stuff you want. It's the Bucky of Heaven. Oh, you know, God is so kind to us. He doesn't send this stuff where it's going to totally mess things up. But, you know, we've already been messed up. We're candidates for more. You know that, don't you? <laughs> See, it's interesting. I've asked the Lord this question often. If you look around the world, there is, there is revival and outpouring happening massively around most of the globe, particularly third world, southern hemisphere. The place it's happening the least is Western Europe. But that's the place with the most old wineskins. Are are you following? I suddenly kind of realized, you know what? Western Europe, the home of the Reformation. The the, the Puritans, etc. Wesley and on and on. Our our history. You know, John Knox, the the Covenanters, the Hebridean Revival, Cambus Lang, on and on and on. And people have written amazing histories and amazing theology on the back of, of, you know, five centuries of revivals, of breakouts, of new revelation. And we've got got temples to it. We've got buildings to it. We've got churches built around those things now for centuries and centuries. But they're old wineskins. And they've got... Nice old wine in them, but the nation needs a new wineskin, and it needs lots of new wine. It needs lots of lots and lots of intoxicated believers going out, getting wrecked on Jesus, and getting more people wrecked on Jesus. And then they'll go, "Wow, this is fun!" And then we'll say, "Yeah, we found out it was fun too." God's looking for new wineskins in Western Europe. It's nice to sip the old, but predominantly we need to find new wineskins and drink some new. Is anybody happy yet? (laughs) So let's do the wineskin the Jesus way. I don't know if you could find that uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 again. (laughs) we've talked a bit about this before Ah. why don't we let's just pray a minute this is this is just a moment just say father i want to be a new wineskin i want a flexible heart i want a flexible church i want a flexible mind that you can fill me intoxicate me overwhelm me with your presence Just express your hunger and desire to him. Have a drink. Ha. (laughs) One of the things that... (laughs) <laughs> Just to give you a couple of tips on drinking, all right? I usually drink first, read the bottle after. <laughs> all right, so I do my analysis after my drinking. Lots of us do our analysis before, you know, we want to, an- 
we want to analyze before we try. That's not how heaven works. You have to try and then buy, okay? <laughs> Taste and see that the Lord is good. How am I ever going to know God is good by tasting? You don't need another verse. You need an encounter. Come on. This is more about romance than it's about analysis. Your mouth is the most germ-filled part of your body. And yet, I love kissing my wife. But if I start to analyze what's going on, it's like, ugh. But I've never, ever had that thought. (laughs) I just think, this is lovely. Let's do some more of this. Because that's romance, all right? Analysis is like, well, four billion germs. I'm not going to do that. (laughs) It's the same with drinking. You go, hmm, oh, that's really nice. Then you look at the bottle, you think, oh, it contains sulfites, crap, or whatever. (laughs) Come on, that's, that's... Heaven is different. It's not kind of analysis. It's, it, it's romance. It's intoxication. We're about, we're about encountering, encountering joy. Because Enca- God's presence is full of joy. It's a river of joy. It's a river of delights, it says. I mean, many times in my Christian life, you'd look at me and you'd think, I was not in a river of delights. A damp on a Dreek Glasgow day is probably a better description of some of my Christian life. But the river we're in is a river of delights. Now, ha! Ah. So the idea of apostolic ministry is that it restores the fun to church. <laughs> because joy shows up. So uh, uh, we verse here. First, second, third. If you promote third to first, you don't get an environment that heaven can invade the same way. So if what I'm saying is true, that the the goal of Jesus' apostolic earthly ministry was to create a group of people that could host an intense invasion of heaven... That's the primary goal of the, of the primary gift for the wineskin to work. If you make a wineskin with the teachers setting the environment or the administrators setting the environment, it's, it, it's not awful, but it isn't going to do the thing. Every gift creates an environment. Every gift releases an atmosphere. Every gift has a set of priorities. And we've been through this before, and I'm just kind of re-coming at it at you from a slightly different perspective here. Pastor-teacher-led structures tend to be people-centered, so they're a bit more cautious. They're trying to keep you safe and keep you loved. The problem with that, many I've talked to, I I, I wouldn't put myself in this category. Uh, I'm not here to keep you safe. Just want you to know that. There are other people here who help do that. I want to expose you to God as much as possible. If that scares the living, what's it out of you? I don't particularly worry because I know if you get enough of him, you will be happy eventually. <laughs> I can't believe I just said it like that. <laughs> but it's just true. <laughs> Um, I know pastors who would not allow this to happen because they want to protect the sensitive. Even this. So, are, are, are you with me? But we, we want to keep it safe. We want to pastor you. We want to love you. We want you to be loved. But it's not all about you. And if you've grown up in pastor-led churches, then you, you are convinced it's all about you. It's not, it's all about him and what he wants to do and who he is and what he's like. And we've got to start letting him be him and have his church back and not control it. 
Yeah, I'm preaching. <laughs> if you have administ, you get organizations and, and denominations led by administrators. They are wonderful. I thank God for them. But if they lead something, then everything has to line up. Everything has to check out. The risk is minimalized, and everything has to be accounted for. That's not a flexible wineskin. It may feel safer, and we may understand what's going on, but that can't run the atmosphere. We need administration. Don't get me wrong. We need pastors. Don't get me wrong. But who, who sets the environment? Who starts to, every now and again, you need to blow things up with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> every now and again, he just needs to come and mess up the program just to check out that we are, we are serious about not being serious. How how open are we? Well, this is the plan, Lord. Are we going to stay with the plan because we made a plan? Or are we going to let him rip up the plan and be him? Well, we already made that decision in this church. Is this making any sense? So it's really important that the wineskin is the right way around. So we need to let the prophets loose as we're doing more and more. Because they see heaven and they see the spirit and they release the presence and they see what's going on. It's so exciting being around prophets. I know they scare some of you witless. But they bring the presence of God like nothing else. Jan and Jen this morning, like they were, they were rocking for Jesus, weren't they? Just amazing. And, and there's, more, there's just so much of this wineskin that we need to discover. How does this work? So I have lots of friends who would love to have an Antioch-based church. So in the book of Acts, there's, there's this church starts in Antioch, and that's where Paul and Barnabas are sent from. But it says explicitly in Antioch, the leadership team, it gives five names. It says, there were prophets and teachers. All the people I know in an Antioch church are teachers, and they have no prophets on their leadership team. Because they don't know what to do with them. You need apostles to handle prophets. Teachers are scared of prophets and want them in a box somewhere and bring them out when it's convenient and then shut them away when they scared everybody. Oh, I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going to carry on anyway. We've had attempts in the past at apostolic ministry. and I've, I've, We've been involved, Teresa and I, in two different environments apostolic ministry one was still and is still somewhat in the sort of pastor teacher administrator environment because that's what most people in our nation and most people in western europe have grown up in is a church pastored and so then you get a movement that is pastoral you just kind of get mega pastors and you know apostolic is about Raising up bigger churches, pastoring pastors and planting churches. Are you with me? And teaching really well. And all that is excellent, but it doesn't fit what I'm talking about here. Another environment within, they recognized the apostolic, but they hadn't seen the aspect of the wineskin about, about grace. And, and a, that what it became was apostolic is the senior authority. So they'd read something like this, and like, I'm the apostle, so I'm the boss. And I'm going to tell you what to do. And when I tell you what to do, then God will come. That's not what this means. And you get in an environment like that, and it gets incredibly legalistic and incredibly top-heavy and incredibly authoritarian, all in the name of we want to see heaven come, and apostles and prophets need to be at the top of the fire. Well, what you end up with is you get nobody growing up. You get an orphan environment because it's run by orphans with a label of apostles. And, and, and everybody, people are not brought into freedom. <sighs> Domination is not the name of the game. Heavy duty is not the name of the game. Authoritarianism is not, Jesus outlawed authoritarianism explicitly in the, in later in the book of Matthew. It says, not so with you. All right? He knocked hierarchy on the head when he who was about to receive all authority in heaven and on earth said to them, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. How much more should earthly leaders have the same perspective? Hello. 
Come on, this is not what this is about. Don't get scared of some clunky, heavy-duty hierarchy. It's about creating an environment. It's about releasing a people. It's about creating freedom. It's about getting behind other people and seeing them become amazing. Because fundamentally, apostolic at its heart is about fathers and mothers. And every dad and mom I know wants their kids to go beyond them and do better than them. dads and moms have mercy at their hearts not judgment towards their children if their kids foul up they still love them they're still in the family if their kids disagree with them they still love them they're still in the family that's what heaven's fathers like and that's what earthly fathers are designed to be like (sighs) so we're moving from duty to joy. We're moving from analysis to romance. We're moving from domination to freedom. From legalism to grace. To create a wineskin that can have, heaven can invade and it won't break. It won't mess us up. We'll all love each other. Even when it looks a bit crazy. We won't distance ourselves in case it isn't God because we've all learned to recognize what God feels like when he's there. Do you know that? Do you know? Can you tell? Because it's, it's a basic qualification for a Christian is to be able to understand and sense and know when the presence of God has arrived. That's what Jesus had trained these people to do. It's actually more important than knowing lots of Bible verses. And again, know, I want you to know your Bible. I want you to read your Bible because it will help you sense his presence. Because it will help you identify who he is and what he does. But you can bring a lot of judgment to the Bible and read it through a clunky lens. Whereas if you've had a few encounters with the love of God, suddenly you read the scripture in a different way. So your assignment this week is to grow in your sensitivity to his presence. When he's there, where he is, what he's doing, where is he in the room. That's Christianity 101, that you know it's him. Even if it looks scary, all right? So that means that your, ah, has to be overcome by your, it's him. And that, that's, that, that needs to get infectious all around the church and around the churches of our city then we'll see Glasgow utterly transformed for Jesus when God's people learn to know it's him rather than going, don't like it. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> more. We want more. 